0: From Michigan Radio, this is It's Just Politics. I am Zoe Clark. This week, Michigan's legislature ends its lame duck session with more of a whimper than a bang.
1: I think that there was multiple issues and the issues changed multiple times. And so, unfortunately, it didn't come together.
0: Coming up, our political roundtable joins us to talk about what, if anything, got done in the final hours. They stayed up late into the night at the Capitol, so you didn't have to. But first, Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock's win in the Georgia Senate runoff this week ensures that Democrats have majority in the Senate. And much praise for that majority has gone to an under-the-radar national figure. In Michigan, however, we know him as Senator Gary Peters. He joins us now. Hi, Senator. Hello, how are you? I'm good. You've been the head of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee for nearly two years. This is the committee that is set up to do what you managed to do this election cycle, keep control of the Senate. Now, according to the New York Times, this is the first time since 1962 that your party has not lost any Senate seats during a midterm election under a Democratic president. How did you do it?
1: Uh, well, uh, there a lot of reasons, a lot of work, certainly, uh, but we also had some uh, amazing uh, candidates uh, that were running. You know, my job as the chairman of the Democratic Campaign Committee was first and foremost to make sure that incumbents come back and get reelected. So that was my primary focus. We uh, had uh, four members that were in particularly challenging races uh, that we focused on. That was in New Hampshire, Nevada, Arizona and Georgia. And uh, the good news uh, was that when we were able to hold those seats, Uh, When that happened, we would continue to be 50-50, with Kamala Harris being the tie-breaking vote, so still in a majority, although shared power when it came to committee work. But our goal was to uh, pick up seats, and the the focus uh, was on uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin in particular. But that's uh, how we focused our, our efforts. Our candidates were outstanding. The contrast between Democrats and Republicans was extreme in nearly all of these cases. You had folks who were Election deniers. You had people who took very extreme positions on the abortion issue. It was an opportunity to really give voters a choice, and had uh, had victories across the board.
0: Well, and I'm curious about how much actually had to do with issues and policy, and how much had to do with, as you say, Republicans just simply putting up bad
2: candidates.
1: Well, certainly that's true. They were uh, bad candidates and uh, came through. But we also knew, you know, going into this election two years ago that. From a historical standpoint, being the party in power always loses seats, historically. That uh, is against you. Uh, We also know that we were coming out of the pandemic. Uh, We had economic issues with inflation. uh, And people, uh, especially coming out of the pandemic, and it was clear, thinking back to where we were two years ago, people were simply not happy. Uh, Folks, I think maybe even better description is people were just exhausted. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were exhausted going through the challenges of the last few years, and and then when you go into a midterm uh, and folks are exhausted, we knew that these would be incredibly tough races, even though we had outstanding candidates and the Republicans did not. One unfortunate part of the election, sometimes the weaker and the most unqualified candidates sometimes wins. So you can't just rely on having a, an inferior candidate versus a superior candidate, you also have to run a really smart and vigorous campaign.
0: Well, let's talk about that. You noted four states, Arizona, Nevada, New Hampshire, and Georgia. What does someone from Michigan know about those states and how to appeal to voters there?
1: Well, the the candidates know how to appeal to their voters. That was their job. But the reason uh, my colleagues asked me to do uh, this job was the fact that I have a track record of running uh, and winning really tough races. My first House race that I won, uh, I beat a a 16-year Republican incumbent and was the first Democrat elected since 1893 in that district. Uh, I was uh, then had a a very spirited race in 2010, which, is, if you recall, was a horrible year for Democrats uh, nationally. Uh, And I had a, a very spirited race against me, and yet I won. And in 2014, when I won my Senate seat, I was the only new Democrat elected in the country. And so uh, Michigan's a battleground state, so when you have a record of winning a a battleground state continuously, my colleague said, Gary, we need you to help us make sure we win in other battleground states across the country.
0: Even if I think a lot of folks assumed it was going to be a thankless job.
1: Well, yeah, it's a tough job, uh, time-consuming, but... uh, Uh, But it was important.
0: We're speaking with Michigan Senator Gary Peters. Senator, I want to quickly turn to this report out this week released by the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, of which you are chair. It's an investigation into the government's early handling of the initial response to the COVID pandemic. What did you find?
1: Well, we found that the central government did a very poor job of responding to the pandemic. And as a result of that, there was needless loss of, of life but it, but it goes beyond just those four months. It shows that uh, we have a number of systemic problems with how we deal with a pandemic. And a lot of public health programs that could have been very helpful in dealing with the pandemic were underfunded. Uh, the exercises uh, that our agencies conducted to prepare for a pandemic were inadequate. And lessons learned during those exercises were not uh, applied there was kind of an inconsistency when it came to who was in charge and lines of communication, a whole host of uh, problems that contributed to uh, a very poor poor execution of uh, the pandemic response. And then there are other issues like supply chain issues. That, and we certainly saw that in Michigan, particularly when we were hit very hard early in the city of Detroit, uh, where we couldn't get personal protection equipment and other kinds of critical medical supplies. And it actually goes back. I did a, a study in my committee in 2019, before the pandemic, and we looked at persistent shortages of drugs in this country. This was prior to the pandemic, uh, a real precarious situation. And our conclusion was that we were overly dependent on foreign sources for critical medical supplies. And the report that came out of my committee that we summarized uh, the results in saying when there's a pandemic, the United States is going to find itself in a very precarious situation. That report came out six months before the pandemic, and uh, it showed uh, without question those kinds of supply issues played uh, a huge uh, problem. But then we also saw the administration, the Trump administration, which basically uh, used uh, its uh, power to stop public uh, health officials from putting out public health information. And they started to control the communications and, quite frankly, put out communications and information that was politicized. And because of that, politics uh, was uh, more important to the White House uh, than public health. Uh, It uh, really uh, made uh, the response less than adequate and likely cost lives.
0: That is a lengthy list of government failures. Do you have faith that anything could possibly change in the future?
1: Uh, We we have a a number of recommendations uh, in our report that we've released, uh, some uh, broad-brush recommendations. But what we're going to do from uh, this report is draft the legislation we're going to certainly be focused on appropriations to fund some of our emergency response programs as well as clarify lines of responsibility so there is a a long list of action items I don't want to I don't want to just put out a report uh, that sits on a shelf and gathers dust Mm -hmm. I want a report that's actually going to lead to specific action that's what we are going to do in my committee over the next two years we will continue to flesh out the work that we have done in preparing this report and put it into action ideas that we hope to pass in the Congress and get the administration to put in policies in place and make sure that the appropriation process also follows that, that we have resources to handle a pandemic. The the one thing that I'm most concerned about is that we know there will be another pandemic. You know, I hope it's a long time. I hope uh, it's many, many years. But the one thing that we can be assured is that there will be another pandemic and we have to do everything in our power to make sure that we are better prepared the next time than we were this time.
0: Michigan Senator Gary Peters. Senator, thanks so much for your time.
1: Oh, great to
2: be with you. Thank you.
0: And let's turn now to our political roundtable. Jonathan Osting, politics reporter for Bridge Michigan, is here. Hey, Jonathan.
2: Hey, Zoe. Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you here. And Colin Jackson, Michigan Radio Capital reporter. Hello. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Good. So guys, let's shift our focus from D.C. to Lansing. That's where the legislature's lame duck session comes pretty quietly to an end. Jonathan, what happened or I guess I should really ask what didn't happen this week at the Capitol.
2: Yeah, um, you know, to your point, what didn't happen was probably more notable. Um, Lawmakers did stand around all day Wednesday waiting for a potential spending deal to materialize, but it never did. The Whitmer administration and outgoing Republican leaders were talking about some sort of a spending bill. It might have been $200 million for an incentive program that the governor likes, coupled with, you know, sort of small tax relief stuff that Republicans. Republicans wanted, but they didn't reach a deal. Republicans made a big stink about it, blamed Whitmer, uh, but she, you know, didn't seem too worried about it. She simply told me uh earlier in the day, we'll just do it next year. You know, she's got Democratic majorities coming to both the House and the Senate next year. So you know, getting through her priorities is going to be a lot easier. And she seems content to just wait it out.
0: Colin, um, if someone is listening and is not you, right, and the handful of other reporters who spent hours and hours in session, what should they know uh, about this deal? And as Jonathan said, sort of crashed and burned.
3: Yeah. So this is a deal that uh, it's an economic development project. It really previously hadn't been announced. We knew that the governor had wanted money for something. Um, we didn't know what as these things often go. And it really wasn't until pretty late in the day that right after it became clear that nothing was going to happen. Representative Matt Hall, uh, he's the incoming minority leader for the next legislative session. He came over and that's when, as Jonathan said, started blaming Democrats for the deal falling through, specifically Governor Whitmer. Uh, the story varies if you ask Democrats. Even uh Senate Appropriations Chair Jim Thomas a Republican, said he didn't really want to place blame on anybody. So you can take that as you will. But after that, uh Representative Bo Fabe he's an outgoing representative from the UP. Uh, he came over and he was pretty upset about the deal falling through. And he let us know that the deal would have been for projects in the UP, specifically Delta County. This was going to be some sort of timber-related project um, supporting the timber industry. And his takeaway was that this project, it's going to affect a lot of jobs. And he thought this is going to be something really big for the UP. Jonathan, I
0: want to turn to you. I mean, so many lame ducks uh, you have witnessed that we have watched. And I want to put it into perspective why we all keep kind of tongue in cheek calling this a lame lame duck, right? And that's because for cycles and cycles in the past, we have seen so many controversial things happen in these last few weeks of session. And this just is not happening. And so it it's sort of altering the universe when it comes to how Lansing politics tends to
2: operate. Yeah, that's right. I mean, typically there's a huge flurry of activity in these lame duck sessions. I mean, some of it is simply lawmakers who are term limited out, who have pet projects or legislation they've been working on for years that they're trying to get done across the finish line. Uh, But some of it is, you know, changing power dynamics um, often lead the, you know, a party that's about to lose power to try and take some drastic steps. So in 2018, for instance, um, you know, Whitmer was set to take office and the Republican-led legislature with outgoing Republican Governor Rick Snyder passed a whole bunch of stuff, um, some of it quite controversial. You know, they... um They finished off a a process later deemed illegal by adopting and then during lame duck amending uh, minimum wage and paid sick leave laws, weakening them uh, before they took effect. Um, They changed uh, some petition drive rules, also mostly overturned by the courts. Um, But yeah, that's the sort of stuff you usually see, you know, real politically motivated stuff. This time around, I mean, I think Whitmer is essentially a check on the legislature, right, Republicans are losing control of the House and Senate. And I'm sure there are some things uh, political powers that be would have liked them to try. But Whitmer has a veto pen. So anything really controversial that they tried to jam through, the governor could have simply rejected. So, um, you know, the dynamics were such that I I don't think it was ever going to lend itself to uh, super partisan activity here in the lame duck. But, you know, the state also has still something like a $6 billion budget surplus. So it seemed like, uh, you know, a spending deal was one area where they might be able to find common ground. We've often seen in lame ducks really pork filled bills pass, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, you know, appropriations for all sorts of random projects and lawmaker districts across the state in exchange for something the governor wants. Um, again, with only three weeks until Whitmer has Democratic majorities, it just didn't seem like she had much impetus to play ball, as it were. And she didn't um, and didn't seem too distressed by that fact.
0: Right. The politics being, look, I've got a whole new legislature uh, with D's by their name uh, coming up in a few weeks. Um, Finally, before we end with you two, I think we have to end uh, with another ending, and that was outgoing Senate Majority Leader Republican Mike Shirky. So at the end of these lame duck sessions, lawmakers who are in their final terms, they give these farewell speeches. Um, And boy, Republican Senator Shirky gave his and it turned some heads. Uh, Let's take a listen to some of the things he says he's concerned about into the future.
4: And these are the next threats that will make COVID an elementary memory. Little G gods like ESG, climate change, gun control, child sacrifice, trans whatever we can concoct, central bank digital currencies, artificial intelligence, agricultural demonization, critical race theory, and the list goes on.
0: What was the reaction at the Capitol?
2: Yeah, um, the word I used in my reporting, I was in the room, and the 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 mood there, I I called dumbfounded. Yeah, folks were dumbfounded, didn't really know what to make of it. Folks seemed to think Shirky really went, you know, full conspiracy theorist here. He um he called, he suggested that COVID nineteen was planned and was sort of the first step in what he viewed as a march towards. One world governance, one world currency, uh, and so on, sort of a a new world order mindset. Um, He blamed the World Economic Forum, uh, which is, you know, figuring prominently in a lot of far right conspiracy theories right now. Um, And I think for a lot of folks, you know, it made them sort of look back and think, huh, okay." he really led the fight against Mm COVID-19 restrictions. So it's interesting to get a little bit more of his perspective about what might have been driving that opposition and um some of the stuff seemed pretty far out there
3: you know these speeches are typically kind of the general farewells you know the thank yous for all my time here it's been really special think end of the school year you know um love you guys this is all the lessons I learned these are my hopes for next year which to his credit uh leader Shirky did get into those things um he thanked his wife his family his staff his friends etc yada 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 But this, when he started to get into some of his concerns, um, yeah, there was a little bit of uh, surprise. There was a point when he talked about some of the weird times he had uh, being a senator when he stuck his hand in the toilet.
0: Let's take a listen to this, because this was another sort of head-turning moment.
3: Went to the restroom, came back, and I'm thinking,
4: boy, that was awful warm in that restroom. You know, next day, nature calls and did the same thing, and man, why is this so warm in here? third time I did it, I figured it out. It was the toilet that was warm. And so I put my hand in it, and it was hot water. So I went back to the office. I said, please get a hold of the maintenance staff around here and ask them why we are taxpayers are paying for hot water in our toilets. And they said, well, how did you know? I said, well, I put my hand in it. <laughs>
0: Again, not the kind of things that you tend to hear during these farewell speeches.
3: You know, everybody gets their time. Uh, they get to speak and say what's important to them. Obviously, um, Majority Leader Shirky felt that this was something important to talk about. But yeah, I mean, these are not, this isn't typical. I would say I would venture as to say, not many lawmakers are willing to publicly talk about sticking their hand in a toilet on the Senate floor.
0: Colin Jackson, Capitol reporter for Michigan Radio, Jonathan Osting, political reporter at Bridge Michigan. Thanks to you both for spending so much time uh, in Lansing watching the legislature for us this week.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course. Happy to do it.
0: And I am Zoe Clark. That is It's Just Politics for this week. Have a great weekend. We will talk next week.